welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, today we're going to be talking about a very interesting subject. Um, The show is called, Are Parents Legally Responsible for Kids Who Bully? But, uh, and we're going to talk about that with someone who um, proved (laughs) that one can fight back and win and um, make parents be responsible legally. But um, it's also quite a treat because um, it's a story, you know, of a man, Mark Simon, who um, is the author of a book called Attacked, Bullied, Surviving Terror and Finding Justice. And it's his story. It's, it's a memoir. And what's, what's particularly interesting is that um, he's going to tell you about this horrendous attack, bullying attack that happened to him and his family when he was a teen. But why it's um, particularly uplifting is the fact that he has, since these teen years, um, become a successful entertainment industry veteran, all kinds of um, activities in the entertainment industry. He's a writer, story artist, and producer-director for live action and animation. And, um, you know, a lot of times kids, I mean, bullying is, is an increasing problem uh, these days with a lot of kids being in school remotely. It, in a way, it's a worse problem, even though the bullies can't get to you physically in the, in when, it's, when school isn't in session. Well, unless, <laughs> unless you walk outside in your neighborhood. But... Um, but in a sense, it's more harmful psychologically with all of the bullying online. So, uh, Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Carol. Um, why don't we just start at the beginning? I mean, I know um, parents these days, a lot of parents, and again, primarily when school was in session and when it will be again, parents are feeling really frustrated um, when their kids are bullied they may go in and talk to the teacher or call the teacher and call, call the principal and whatever, whoever they call, it doesn't really seem to do much. And I've had lots of um, experience with this, both in terms of treating families where a child was bullied and also in terms of um, my expert witness work, families who tried uh, to get um, satisfaction, you know, from kids who were bullied. Like, for example, kids who committed suicide because they were bullied. Mm -hmm. I had one case like that. And it's really hard um, to get satisfaction, even whichever, however uh, strongly, you know, however far it goes. I mean, not necessarily when a child commits suicide, but even just just, uh, depression and anxiety and, um, wanting to stay home from school and all of that. But the, the thing that is consistent is that when they go to school to try to fix it and ask the people at school to fix it, they get very little help. Um, they get apathy. They get, uh, you know, teachers shrugging their shoulders. Sometimes they get retaliation against their kids. And they don't often think to themselves, what could, did they do 
um, that might have, well, the, the, the parents who are the parents of the bullies don't think to themselves, what um, did they do that contributed to their child becoming a bully? And actually, quite frankly, also the other way around. There are certain things, certain traits, of kids who become the focus of bullying mm-hmm. um, that parents contributed to as well, a different set of um, parental actions, a different, different reasons, but, it's, but the parents affect those kids as well. Um, so let's hear your story, which is really, <laughs> really a, t- a top <laughs> bullying story. Takes the cake. So why don't you start with one of the things that I was, I am interested in looking at your website and so on. The thing that um, particularly interested me is what, not only what happened, as you'll tell us, but also what made these kids, like how did it all start? What made these kids pick on you? Well, the reason I got bullied was kind of two parts, completely different, but they, they work together. I was, I'm not a tall person now. I'm only 5'7 now, and I'm in my 50s. Um, but when I was in high school, I was probably, at this point, I, I was 16 when, when these attacks happened. I was probably only 5'4", five 5'5". Foot five foot five. Um, I was a thin kid. I wasn't skinny. I was thin. Um, but I was very, very strong. Um, and I say that because that part, that's part of what led to uh, the intense bullying. My father owned a construction company, so I was raised in construction. Um, I worked full-time since I was about 12. Um, and, you know, when you work 10, 11 hours a day lifting lumber, you get really strong. Even though I was short, okay. I was strong. And when mm-hmm. I was 15, I took over as superintendent of my dad's company. So I was running the construction crews. Now, where this is relevant to the story this gang of bullies at my high school would just pick on people for whatever reason. Uh, generally weak people, smaller people than them, anyone they could beat up. And so in uh, like playing basketball in gym or something like this, they would body check people and, and they would come up and they would try to body check me. But because I worked in construction and I was a solid little kid, they would bounce off of me and I would body check them back. So I, I would embarrass them, even though I was shorter than them, which they couldn't handle. They would try um, to verbally bully me or push me around in the hallways. But I was used to telling guys who weighed 300 pounds, who were three times my age, what to do every day. So what's a high schooler mm. going to do to intimidate me? It's not going to happen. Mm. You know, just the, again, because I was raised differently because of, of my responsibility and what I had to do. So I embarrassed them by calling them on it, not putting up with anything, which would lead to them having less control over others. So instead of one-on-one, it became two-on-one, four-on-one, eight-on-one, and it just kept building until they had enough where they could really scare the hell out of me. So that, that's what led up to it. I was short, but I always came out on top or I would embarrass them, and I had a big mouth. Um, you know, look, give a little kid a lot of, a lot of uh, power, and he's going to be a smart mouth. And I was. That all led okay. to the night where 30 of them attacked me at once. Okay, okay. before we get to the night. So um, this was in Houston, right? It was in Houston in 1980. 
Okay. And um, besides, in addition to what you just described, what about um, were you also more affluent than these bullies? Uh, There were four families that we ended up taking to court. Two of them, the two ringleaders, uh, we were much more affluent than them. Um, Two of them, they were equal or more affluent than, than my family. I, my family definitely had money. Um, you know, I never had want for anything. Um, but it was a, a, but of the gang, it was a complete mix. Uh-huh. And just so everyone knows, what about, everyone was white. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, what about, now I know you, you write in your first chapter about how you had a, like a fancy car, right? Yeah, we we had a quite a few cars in my family, and my dad had bought a 1963 uh, Thunderbird when it was new and kept it. And so when I came of age, he offered to either buy me a new car or to um, pay for any uh, anything to fix up the old antique that we had, that we had kept. So I wanted to learn about cars. I was a car fanatic. So I said, great, let's, let's rebuild this 63. So I rebuilt the 63 T-Bird and completely customized it. So I had a really cool paint job. I redid the interior, you know, had the most amazing stereo for when we had the big outdoor parties. So everyone knew that car because it, it really stood out. So that was something also that you were bullied for. Well, it wasn't necessarily for that, uh, at least that I knew of. It, it was. It really became one on one where they just hated me, um, and because I because uh, I embarrassed <laughs> well, yeah. them. But it was easy to find me wherever we were. They knew that car. Uh huh. Well, I mean, just that that set you off as a cool guy, and so they were jealous of that. I guess it's possible that never came up in in anything. Um, you know, it's huh. when when you're when you're in school. It was it, it, nothing seemed to be on that. It was really they were just absolute jerks, um, and that's that's just for the radio. That's a nice way of putting it. Um, they assaulted lots of people. They got caught breaking into the school and burning their school records. Uh, so they they spray painted the school, and some kids saw them, and so they broke his leg. Uh, they used to brag about throwing cinder blocks off of bridges onto the cars below. That's the kind of thing these guys did for fun. Okay. All right. So do you want, so where do we go next? I mean, um, as far as, is it the, uh, the first attack? Is that where we are? Well, Wait, I mean, before that's... we get to that, what, what about, so you were how old at the time? I was 16. Okay, so what about girls? Did you have a girlfriend? I dated uh, quite a bit, um, and uh, you know, in the big party where uh, you know where the big attack happened, it was a big outdoor bonfire. I knew lots of people there. Um, I wasn't part of the cool clique, but I wasn't, you know, n- you know, necessarily an outsider either. You know, I was always known as an artist, but, you know, I worked all the time. Um, I was known in school just because I always illustrated the yearbooks and the school papers. And, uh, you know, I was involved in a, in a few different things. So, you know, I, w- I was just kind of in the middle, you know. Uh, I, I, like I uh-huh. said, I wasn't an outsider, but I wasn't part of the cool clique. Okay. All right. So go ahead. Take us to what happened the, the big night. 
All right, so the big night. So just to kind of set the stage, we every weekend, my uh, kids at my high school would have a big bonfire party in this abandoned subdivision. It was it was a place where it was so surrounded by trees that no one could see it from the road, so we could be invisible from parents and cops. And yes. it was a place we called the back of Bamel. You know, because there were so many woods, we would just grab branches and logs and whatever. And in the middle of this cul-de-sac, we would just build this big bonfire. Some kids would bring furniture, throw in school books, whatever. And um, and everyone would get, go back there and, and drink and party and hook up. And, uh, you know, there's usually anywhere from 30 to 70 cars filled with kids uh, every Friday or Saturday night. So. Okay. I drove back there, and I had a buddy of mine with me in my car, and we, uh, we drove up to the bonfire, turned around, and came back just a little bit. And it was pretty tight because there were cars parked along both sides of the street, so it was just a narrow pathway up the middle with drunk kids roaming around back and forth. And we had stopped, and we're talking to a couple girls. All of a sudden, in the background, I hear this voice that yells out, Hey, there's Simon. Let's rumble. And it was this kid, Perry, who had gotten after me any number of times. He was one of the two ringleaders. Um, He had had punched me the week before, and I just stood there and looked at him and told him he wasn't worth my my trouble fighting him, which really embarrassed him. So he got a whole bunch of guys together. It looked like it was about 30 people. Everyone disappeared from around my car who wasn't part of this obnoxious gang. And all of a sudden, my, um, my buddy who's in the car with me, he and I were getting punched through the windows. People are climbing up on top of the car. They're hitting my car with bats and pipes and chains, and they're trying to bust out the windows, and they're punching us through, uh, through the open windows. So I yelled at my buddy, roll up the windows. And luckily, this, this was a really high-end 63 car. It had electric windows in it. And the window controls were in the center console. So he was able to lean away from the window to roll, uh, to roll it up. I grabbed Perry's arm. Perry was punching me through the driver's side window. I grabbed his arm, held it, rolled up the window on his arm, put the car in gear, and took off. So I drug him okay. behind my car. Everyone is leaping out of the way. Everyone else in the party here has no idea what's going on. They think I'm the insane one you know, dry, uh, driving out, but I'm scared for my life at this point. I, it's instant sweat. So he I went, don't so understand. His arm, his, wait, his arm is in the window, the yep. mostly closed window, but, and so he, and he's being dragged by it. And, Correct. um, and what is happening is he's being dragged. He's screaming and yelling, uh, calling me every name in the book. And, um, a friend of his, partway down the road, jumped out in front of my car to try to make me stop. Mm. Um, so I ran mm. over him. Um, what? And the guy, ba- yeah, <laughs> the guy bounced up over the hood of my car, uh, bounced off, the, his face bounced off my windshield. He hit Perry as he rolled off the side, yanking Perry's arm out of the window. They rolled off into, oh. the, into the side into a car, and I drove through the rest of the party to try to get out, but I missed the exit because I was freaking out so much, I missed the only road to get out. So I spun my car around, and all the kids at the party blocked the exit. 
and they pulled all the flaming oh. boards out of the bonfire, and they came after me like I was the Frankenstein monster. I, and it's literally what it oh. looked like. They were all silhouetted behind the fire or in front of the fire, and they came after me with whatever tools they could get out of all their pickup trucks and came after me. It sounds like Lord so, of the Flies. It, yeah, it was quite a bit like that. It was absolutely horrifying. So um, I couldn't get back to the road to get out to the main road. So I told my buddy to hold on, and I jumped the curb. And, and this was an area that had uh, the drainage ditches on both sides of the main roads. And luckily, they had just recently uh, dredged them. So there was a mound of dirt on my side. My old 63 T-Bird hit that mound of dirt, launched our, the car up over the ditch, and I landed in the middle of the main road, in the middle of traffic. Mm. It's the only way I got away from everybody. Mm. And so we escaped. At that point, we drove around, freaking out. We drove over to the local McDonald's, which is where Officer Ogden, one of the cops that everyone in the area knew, uh, this really rotund but super nice uh, cop. We found him. He said, I don't know what's going on, but these guys are looking for you. You should probably just go home. So I dropped my buddy off at home. And as I go in, and I, uh, I'm breathless, and I start trying to tell my parents what had happened. And we heard this noise out front. So they have no idea what's going on. And we hear all this racket out in front of the house. And we lived on a corner. So my mom, without um, knowing what's going on. Mark, Mark, goes, let me, I, yeah. I need, wait, let's stop at the corner here <laughs> because we need yeah. to take a break. And this is okay. a good place to stop. It's on, a, <laughs> on a, the edge of a cliff <laughs> or at least the edge of your sidewalk. Um, my guest is Mark Simon. We're talking today about are parents legally responsible for kids who bully? This is, uh, this is bullying on steroids. So stay tuned for more. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com 
These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about are parents legally responsible for kids who bully? My guest is Mark Simon. He is um, a successful entertainment industry veteran. He is also the author of Attacked, Bullied, Surviving Terror, and Finding Justice. So we're, we're going through the whole story. Pretty, pretty, I mean, you know, the way you described it, I'm sure uh, I and all my listeners can picture um, these gang, this gang coming towards you um, with the fire behind, you know, in the dark with the fire behind yeah. them and all that, just silhouettes uh, as you're trying to get your car out of there. Um, really, really something. Okay, so you now we, we left off where you were pulling into your house. You had dropped your friend off. And uh, mm-hmm. the cop told you that uh, they were still after you, and now what? So as I'm trying to tell my parents what had happened earlier in the evening, my mom goes out the side door to see what the noise is out front. Like I mentioned, we, we lived on a, on a corner lot. So I look out the door, and I see that it's four of the guys, Perry and Steve, the two ringleaders, and, and two other guys, who were who had been part of the attack earlier um, in a pickup truck. So I stepped back in, Dad, Dad, it's them. And he didn't know what was going on. He steps outside in his glasses and robe and barefoot because you know, they were ready for bed. It was around midnight or so. And they say, here comes the old man. Let's take off. They jumped in the truck and uh, started to drive away. But Dad saw Mom was scared because they had surrounded her by the time he ran out there. So he ran down the truck and grabbed one of the guys in the back and pulled him out of the back of the truck. Now, my dad's not really tall either, but he was also a farm boy and in construction. So he was massively strong. Just yanked the guy out. Uh So the truck came back. The guys got out. Steve starts uh, smacking, hitting, kicking, spitting on my dad, cursing him like crazy. Uh, two yeah. of the guys come out, surround my mom, throw her up against a tree, start smacking my mom around. One of the guys starts smacking me around, and I'm totally freaking out. I can't do anything. I'm, I'm seeing all this happen to my family right in front of me, and I'm, I'm losing it. Uh, you know, this is something I couldn't control. I, I couldn't move. I was just stuck up against a tree with this guy hitting me. And this uh-huh. went on until the neighbors came out. One of the neighbors, a uh, young guy, came out, a uh, college kid, with a big pipe and uh, scared, uh, scared the guys away, said, I just called the cops. They'll be here in a minute. 
And that's the only reason we got the guys to leave. So, you know, so now not only were they, had they been bullying me, but now they physically attacked both my parents and me in our front yard. And that just started it. And, and it was months of horrible stuff they were doing to us afterwards. So what we ended up doing was the, the day after the attack, I talked to that cop again, Officer Ogden, invited him over to the house. And he was the one who told us about a brand new law that had never been used before, holding parents responsible for the actions of their kids. And um, he said, I'd, I'd like you to talk to the local judge, George, uh, Judge um, uh, McIntyre, um, and he'll explain it and set everything up. So the local judge was really helpful and fast-tracked everything. So within a week, we had the families of all four of the kids who attacked my family in court. So here's the thing that, uh, and, and a number of states has, has this now, it's, it's civil court. And in order to hold a parent responsible, what you have to do is warn the parents in court so they have the opportunity to step in and change the actions of their kids. Otherwise, they could just say, well, I didn't know little Johnny was doing this. So the, uh, we brought everyone in on the following Saturday, all the families. Uh, the two ringleaders had no fathers. They just had mothers. The mothers uh-huh. were completely obnoxious. Um, and one of the mothers called me uh, a very interesting uh, P name, uh, in front of the in front of the judge, that he's just being this, they boys should fight this out on uh, themselves. And the judge said, "Well, you're now responsible. If any other attacks happen, any of you uh, can be arrested." So, two of the families dealt with their kids immediately. One kid apologized immediately after the the court warning. Uh, the other kid wouldn't look at me, and the two ringleaders kind of huddled together. And um, planned, uh, you know, or I don't know if they pre-planned, but for the next couple months, it was everything they could do to try to get me without my being able to call the cops on them. In what way? Having other kids attack me, um, uh, breaking into, uh, they broke into this one girl's house um, and a bunch of them jumped on me, but I ended up not being hurt. And, and see, the thing I had to be careful of and, and what the judge had told me, it was a fine line. I had to make sure that what, whenever I called the cops, it was bad enough where we would get a conviction, but not wait so long that I was going to be seriously hurt. Um, uh-huh. And because I was stronger than most of these guys, I was able to get out of a lot of situations that a lot of people wouldn't be able to. You know, like when four of them jumped on me, I was able to get myself out of it without my being hurt. Uh, but finally, eight of them came after me. I was on a, I, I, to back up a moment, during this, I became an outcast at the school. Um, no one would Why even is look that? at me. Why is that? Because no these one, guys ruled no the school. No one would look at you, yeah. Yeah, Be- everyone was because afraid of retribution. Ruled- yeah. Hmm. So I became a pariah uh-huh. in the largest high school in Texas. There were over 4,000 students in, in the school. It was called hmm. Pine Forest High. And literally, I would walk down these crowded hallways, and it was like water spreading out around me. No one, uh-huh. 
no one would come anywhere near me. So after a couple of months, I finally got this one girl from one of my art classes to go out on a date with me because she didn't know what was going on. And the guy saw me. And eight of them came after me with bats and chains and pipes. And I barely escaped uh, from them. Uh, I had a nervous breakdown uh, from that. And once I could finally figure out how to even speak, uh, I just drove around Houston for hours and hours and hours. Um, finally, I called my parents and, and said, uh, they just attacked me again. Call them. They called the cops on the two ringleaders. So uh, they did. The next morning, uh, the mothers of the two ringleaders were picked up and thrown in jail. Um, huh. Yeah. And then we fast-tracked. We were able to fast-track the, uh, the court trial because the judge wanted to get rid of these kids. He knew of them. Um, and because uh, they had been in front of him for any number of different things, but there's only so much you can do with Juvie Hall. Um, so we went to court, and we became the first people in the country to successfully hold parents responsible for the actions of their kids. And so what happened to these mothers? Uh, they were thrown in jail. They were fined. Uh, the school had also been trying to get rid of the kids. Uh, the school was very supportive and helpful uh, to me. Uh, they did a number of different things. They let me park different places. All the teachers watched out for me and the principal and vice principal showed up in court for me. Um, Uh. and they took the stand. So, uh, from, because of the conviction, the kids never showed up in school again. They were kicked out immediately. Um, and I never saw them again. I never saw the ringleaders again. So wait, this was a, a civil case or a criminal case? It was a civil case, but it gave the school enough that they could get rid of the kids permanently. Um, long-term uh-huh. effect of what happened to the, to the mothers, I don't know. I was 16, and I never saw the kids again, so I, I, I didn't know anything else about it. Uh, and I, I just went on with my life. Um, but so, what I did do so, is I went Oh, go ahead. Well, no. Um, so did you, you sued them for money? I mean, I mean, I, I'm not, not that you, no. not that that was the main reason why you sued them, but didn't you, did you get money from this? No, from this no, verdict? we didn't look for it. Yeah, the, I, I, at the, again, at that time, I didn't know the differences in what type of laws. I just know that they were thrown in jail because I watched them being um, brought out uh, and into the courtroom. And I just know what the, uh, what the cop and judge had told me. So. Uh-huh. And so how long was it? from the first attack to when the mothers were thrown in jail? Two and a half months. Uh-huh. And during those first two and a half months, um, you had a nervous breakdown? Yeah. I uh, probably had a couple of them, but um, it was... But the, the, big, the big breakdown that I remember happened um, about three weeks before the, um, before the court trial. You know the uh, the night or the, the the night that the eight of them came after me when I was on on that date. I mean that just destroyed me. Hmm. And how long were you in a psychiatric hospital? Oh, I I, I didn't even see a doctor. I never saw a psychiatrist. I just I just know that when uh, all I could do was cry and sweat and scream and punch things um, until I just collapsed and I, I couldn't talk to my, uh, to my family for about a day or two. Um, 
uh, and then finally, I just, you know, I slowly started coming out of the shell. There was one friend who, uh, who, who was willing to, he be, actually became a friend during all this, Jim Irvine. He's still my best friend to this day. Uh, he was the only one who was sick by me. And I, I asked him when I was writing my memoir, I asked him, I said, well, how did I change, you know, that night that I flipped out? And he said, well, normally you're the take charge kind of guy. He said, you, you know, you're always, you know, very aggressive and, and always had an opinion. And uh, he said, but you wouldn't say anything. You just sat there and let everyone else make every decision. He said, it was really unusual for you to just kind of sit back. Uh, so, you know, I retreated into a shell and it wasn't for that long. It was probably just a few days, but you know, I had never felt powerless before. Um, and, and so under threat and it, it had been months of, you know, death threats were left at our house and, and death threats on my car and our, all of our tires were being slashed. My, you know, the few friends that I had left bricks were being thrown through their windshields. Um, you know, it was just, it was an onslaught of everything. My mom had to wear a disguise whenever she left the house. Uh, we all were armed at all times. Uh, there were, we had private security watching the house because there were, uh, there were threats of our house being firebombed. Um, you know, and all I just added up until until uh, that last attack, and I just lost it. Hmm, it's funny. Why do you think your parents didn't take you to a doctor? Never thought about it. Never a discussion. Um, my dad is, is definitely old school of, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Um, yeah. You know, everyone's out, out for themselves, and Literally, it was never a discussion. Uh, so, I, you know, I can't tell you anything other than that it just never came up. Uh-huh. So, um, looking, let's look at Perry and Steve a little bit. Now, you said that um, it's interesting, of course, that they neither of them had a father in the house because yeah. um, that, is, that is one of the predictors of... Um, of failure in various ways of kids of, and uh, especially of boys, um, you know, of, of not having a father figure to teach them uh, how to be a man in the right way, um, feeling uh, just, you know, becoming violent, feeling angry all the mm-hmm. time, that kind of thing. So, and you were saying that one of them was um, equally or more affluent than you, and the other one wasn't. What was the, which was which? Not, not of the two ringleaders of, of the four families. The two of them uh, were affluent. Two were not. The two ringleaders they were not affluent. Um, okay. You know, they, you know they went to the same school we did, but you know some kids were bust in. Uh, I don't really know uh, uh, Perry's living conditions, but. My my dad had actually staked out his house, and because um, my dad had, had was doing a lot to, to make sure that the family was going to be safe, without even telling me until twenty years later. Um, so he, uh-huh. he lived in a place that wasn't wasn't that nice. I knew where Steve lived, um, which was um, upstairs of a duplex, a tiny place. Um, uh, Steve just had a sister. And it was interesting difference between the two ringleaders. So Steve was a very, very good-looking blonde kid. Uh, blonde hair, blue eyes, good physical shape. Uh, had a smile that all the girls just fainted for. Uh, he was just an absolute ass um, and, and a bully. Perry, on the other hand, was a weasley little guy that looked like a rat, um, was always <laughs> up to something, um, 
and, and, you know, greasy hair, skinny guy, a few inches taller than me. Um, they were both into martial arts. Uh, I know they were both taking uh, Taekwondo because I saw them in class one day. Um, huh. and, and just loved to get into fights. And, and generally, one of them would get into a fight and start to lose, and all their friends would jump in. And, um, you know, a whole bunch of people together would beat up whoever, whoever was in the fight with them. So, you know, nothing was ever fair. It was so always, Perry, I'm going to start something and, and win. So, Perry was kind of, um, Steve was really the real ringleader, and Perry was kind of his, uh, you know, lackey, right? I, I didn't see it that way. Perry and I... It, it, Perry was the one that always had the bigger problem with me because uh, it was Perry in, uh-huh. in gym class who always tried to body check me and, and to, to try to bully me and everyone else uh, during gym. I was just the only one who stood up, uh, stood up against him. So um, he was the, I, Perry was the driving force on all the problems that I had. And, and it, wasn't a, it wasn't a gang like everyone wore the same jackets or anything like that. It was just you know, a bunch of friends who hung out with two, you know, two guys that always got in trouble, and and uh, you know, so it ended up being a bunch of people that just did bad stuff together. They were all doing bad stuff until I got them kicked out of the school. Uh huh. Well, when we come back, um, I want you to talk about what impact all of this had on your life. Mm-hmm. Um, because clearly, <laughs> clearly it did. It would have on anybody. So um, we will be coming right back. My guest is Mark Simon. His book is called Attacked, Bullied, Surviving Terror, and Finding Justice. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. 
We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with Mark Simon today. He is the author of Attacked. Bullied, Surviving Terror, and Finding Justice. Really, <laughs> this is a bullying story on steroids, let me tell you. Um, uh, where, where was I? We were, I want to talk about how this impacted you. And one thing you were saying, I'm still really interested in the idea of why they picked you and so on. And I know we've talked about some things. Um, you were more affluent, at least than uh, the two ringleaders in any case. You had a father and a mother who loved you, took good care of you. They only had a single mother. Um, they, uh, you got straight A's, and they uh, didn't do as well in school. I mean, you have to look at, the, you know, the things that, I mean, not that these things were your fault in any way or that they weren't good things, you know. I mean, that's the point. They were good things, and that's why they were very jealous and had to destroy you. So, okay, how do you think um, over the years uh, this impacted you? I mean, first of all, right after it happened and then as the years have gone by. Well, I mean, the, the biggest thing is I, for years I had to keep looking over my shoulder. Um, I always felt someone was sneaking up behind me and was going to stab me in the back. Um, and it, was, it took me years before I could even go to a movie theater because I couldn't sit without my back to a wall. Um, you know, mm. there's always that fear that someone's going to come up behind me. Um, that took a little while, uh, it took a few years uh, to get, for me to get over. Um, the good news is those, all those events led me very quickly and very directly into my current career. So, you know, as I had mentioned, I was in all the advanced classes uh, when I was a sophomore in high school. And when all the attacks were happening in the fall semester of my sophomore year, I couldn't concentrate. And I was in um, either advanced trigonometry or calculus. I don't remember which. Probably advanced trig uh, in uh, my sophomore year. But I couldn't concentrate, and so I failed the class. And, you know, here I am straight A in honors, and all of a sudden I get an F. So I ended up, when I came back for spring semester, after the court trial had ended, the guys were gone, I had an extra class because I couldn't stay in that math class. And my art teacher said, you know, why don't you go help, uh, you know, use, use your art, uh, the second art class, and go help the theater department. They're about to do a play, and they need someone to design the brochure and posters for them. And I thought, well, that sounds great. Uh, I had been sort of into marketing. You know, I was designing signage and stuff for my dad's company. And so I went down and I sat on the edge of the, for one class every day, I sat on the edge of the stage watching them design and build the sets. 
but I kept seeing everything they were doing wrong. So I started making comments. Well, if you did this way, it'd be better. Or how about this? Well, let me take a look at your plan. I ended up redesigning all the sets. I ended up, you know, completely falling in love with theater and drama. Uh, I became the backstage manager on my first play and, uh, Everyone I met, I loved. That, that group didn't know anything about what had happened. So it was like all fresh people didn't know what, mm. uh, what had happened to me. And I get to use all of my, uh, everything I loved in creativity and my home building skills in theater. That led uh-huh. me to getting scholarships in theater to college when I was uh, in Texas. When I was there, I had a really great film professor and so when I graduated, I thought, well, Hollywood sounds cool. Let me just move to Hollywood. And two weeks after, um, after I graduated college, I was living in L.A., and, and my first year there, I started uh, art directing feature films. So it, it was an absolute direct line, because I had never thought about working in Hollywood until I had uh-huh. an extra class to fill in high school. Wow. So it had a silver lining. But now, I, I, in reading... In reading your bio, mm-hmm. you do, you're a producer director for live action. So, meaning mm-hmm. what? Meaning um, violent scenes? You know, it's, it's, it's everything. Uh, I'm known mostly as a story artist now. I started as a, as a designer, and uh, I've, I've directed a number of commercials and, and animated projects. Um, and I even got this, Steven Spielberg gave me my start doing second unit direction on an NBC show called Sequest years ago. But um, really, as a storyboard artist, it's kind of like a comic book version of a, of a script. It's the director's vision for the whole crew to see. That's what I'm known most uh-huh. for. And, that's, and I've written books on how to do it. I teach, uh, I lecture on it. Um, that's, that's where my, my love is. And and I work on everything from comedy to horror to to drama to superhero stuff. Um, I don't see that there's anything particular in uh, in my attitude or actions related to what happened you know, with with all the bullying. Um, you know, as far as what uh, what I enjoy. You know, I like escapism like anyone. I like to laugh like anyone. Um, well, I can tell you, though, which, which was interesting, is I've, I've written this story a few times. Uh, the book that you see is like the third time I wrote it. Uh, the first couple times, I wasn't good enough uh, at writing, and they were just terrible. But the first time I wrote the story down in depth, when I wrote The End, was the last time I had a nightmare, or I woke up in the middle of the night. It was the last time I even thought about those guys. By writing it down, I had flushed my system. I didn't have my mind didn't have hmm. to remember it anymore. Uh huh. Uh huh. Well, clearly, it sounds like you had PTSD from all of this. I mean, it would be normal for you to have PTSD from what you've yeah, described. Yeah, I'm just a little surprised that you're. I mean, I, I guess what you explained that your father was kind of a um, pull your up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of guy. What about the yeah. impact on your mother and father? Um. My mom, she cried a lot during it, and, and we had been such a happy family up until then. Once it was over, she was afraid to go out for a while, um, but uh, Dad, 
as soon as the, the, the events were done and the guys stopped messing with me and, and they were out of the picture, he just went, went back to running the construction company. And, that's, uh, and, and I did too, I mean, which was a great catharsis for me. Uh, no one knew where I worked in, in the school. You know, it was in a different area of town. So it was an escape that you know, we were in complete control of everything that was going on. Um, but you know, our lives, because the guys, we never saw them again, our lives returned within a couple months to pretty much being normal other than looking over our shoulders. Uh-huh. And we won. You know, it, it, was, it, was, it was the definitive win. It's, there's something really satisfying about having a, a result of the gavel coming down and watching someone being, uh, being hauled out of court and into jail. That's, well, now, what about yeah. the, the two guys? What about the two ringleaders, Perry and Steve? Um, weren't they put in jail, or, or weren't they no. punished in some way by the court? No, the court had nothing to no? do with them. This is all about the parents. Um, uh, the, the, the juvenile hall, we avoided that because of what we had been told wouldn't have been able to do much, but because uh, I had gotten the school involved in it, the school was able to use uh, the court trial to immediately expel them. And so they ended up, from what I had heard, had to go to a, a private school uh, deep, you know, I guess near downtown Houston. I, I never knew for certain, um, but nowhere in the area. So, you know, so there were ramifications there where their lives are uprooted which is one of the things uh-huh. that I wanted. Um, it, during the event, you know, the principal said, you know, we can move you to another school. Um, be happy, you know, sorry to see you leave, but, you know, any school would want you there just because of my grades. And I said, why should I uproot my life? I'm not the one doing anything wrong. So I refused. Yes. I said, no, I'm, I'm going to win. They're going to lose. And it just, it, so it took us a few months to build the case. Now, did your local paper or maybe even more bigger media, did, were you, was this a whole story in the media? No, see, we didn't have that kind of media 40 years ago. Um, uh, my true. parents didn't know anything about media at the time. You know, there was only the three broadcast networks um, before, I guess, Fox had just started. Um, and so, no, we, we never reached out to anybody uh, that wasn't even on the radar. You know, we just did our thing. I mean, the local, won, the local newspaper? Life. Not even the no. local newspaper? No, because no one reached out to them. You know, my parents didn't think that way. My mom didn't want... Yeah. I, she wouldn't have wanted any promotion because she didn't She yes. didn't want people to know what she looked like. Um, uh, yeah. And Dad, Dad, Dad just wanted to deal with it and, and move on. Hmm. I mean, you know, it, it's one thing to... Um, and it was bad enough the way you described it, for their attacks on you, but it really does take another level of rage and, uh, and um, antisocial uh, behavior and, and uh, to, for, for, guy, for high school guys to attack parents. You know, that's yep. a whole other level. Well, I think they were probably pretty stoned on some pretty serious drugs, um, uh, I know Dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dad said when when Steve was attacking him, he, uh, it was full black irises and and just the speed and intensity of the rant. He said was unlike anything he had ever seen in his life. Uh, and of course, we had all been out partying mm-hmm. that night. You know, cause I was out at that big party, so who knows what they were into? Uh, I had heard a lot of things, but I never 
hung out with those guys, so I never saw myself what they were into. Um, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. they most likely were on something. Well, you know, this story, uh, I mean, I'm sure you've thought of this, this story would make, make an amazing movie. I have been in talks with a couple of studios about turning, uh, turning the story into a movie, yeah. Okay, you should have you or the, these kids going to a psychiatrist so you can have me in the movie. <laughs> well, <laughs> Sounds <what> good if, <laughs> to me. <laughs> how they got better. <laughs> well, I think this is a, you know, it is an inspiring story. I mean, I, I think that parents, it would be good. Is, was this just a Texas law or is, was it a, um, a federal law? Where parents, where uh, parents of bullies could be. Well, what did you say? It was a Texas law. So Texas I law. know other states hmm. have picked it up, but because they're all all states handle it differently. Um, and, and the research I had done, it was hard for me to kind of find uh, specifics on it. Um, but uh-huh. at least I set the standard. You know, it was the first court case using it, and we won. So I set the precedent. Well, I think that uh, more parents should consider doing this, more families should consider doing this because, um, because bullies, you know, are getting away with a lot. And, yes, it gets, and you had said uh, during the break about how the, they had guns and so on. This could have been a lot worse, actually. Yeah, it could have been, um, yeah. But, and certainly today, you know, the way there are guns are even more prevalent, it, it would could li- would likely have been a lot worse. Well, I wish you luck in getting this into a, um, a film. And again, let me tell people the name of the book because uh, clearly there, you know, we've we've kind of you've talked about the highlights, but clearly it uh, sounds like it would be fabulous to read. Again, the book is called Attacked, Bullied, Surviving Terror, and Finding Justice. And my guest's name is Mark Simon. And thank you, Mark, for sharing your story. Um, I wish you continued success. And I appreciate that, and I appreciate you having me on. It's been really fun to talk to you. And I and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 